so good to have you back here. So back inside, ready for the book of First Peter. Let's turn there now, chapter 3 for tonight. And do want to encourage you that uh, over at the little resource table, we've got daily bread, we've got the Calvary Distinctives, we got some information, we got a little booklet called By the Still Waters. I'm going to read a chapter of that tonight if you want to pick that up. It's a great little devotional. In the back, we got sweatshirts, we got t shirts, men of the word, anchored, we got everything you guys need to be a part of the men's ministry here. Anybody here tonight for the men's ministry for the first time? Got a hand here, hand it back to a few guys. Awesome. Now, we are going to break up into groups after the study. So if you don't have a group, Albert's going to come down and kind of give a quick orientation and um, get you guys assigned to a group. Now, you do not have to go to the groups, of course, for you to do what you want. You're not comfortable because we are going to be in the classrooms and we are going to practice social distancing. So we're not going to allow 20 guys in one classroom. So we'll be splitting it up and such but a uh, great time in the groups. Love being in the groups. But how many of you guys were here last September when we started outside there in the tents? Huh? Wasn't that cool? Back when you were wearing shorts, it was actually nice weather. We were in the book of First Peter. Love this book. God is so good. This perfect book for where we're at, what's going on. But I want to read chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, just to again bring us back to that place where Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of dispersion, remember who he's writing to, those who were scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, scattered and chased out of their homeland because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because of come, becoming a Christian, not only persecuted by the Roman government, but also the Judaizers and their own families, ran off. Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling the blood, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And of course, Peter's starting off encouraging these dear brothers and sisters in the church being persecuted. And when we first started this study, we talked about persecution and everybody in that whole thing, oh, the church is being persecuted. And when you read the story of these Christians here, this was true persecution. We're not being persecuted at all. We're we actually got it made in the shade here, brothers. We got lights. We got seats to sit on, air conditioning. We got it made. But tonight, the title of the message is Proper Christian Conduct. And, of course, the theme of this year is A Living Hope. Our hope is alive, brothers. I hope you know that. He's alive. He's well. He's with us here tonight. And in that overview of the, the book, this book on suffering, to encourage the believers in the midst of suffering and trials, and if you read through this book and you contemplate, you think about what was going on and what was happening, really this, this book is kind of actually getting them ready for what really was going to be the incredible persecution. Nero, of course, the emperor at the time, was blaming the Christians. The rumor was going out that it was the Christians who set Rome on fire when in fact it was Nero himself. He had it done and he had to have a scapegoat, so he blamed the Christians easy target, right? Well, in that process of blaming the Christians, of course, the persecution would begin to rise. Peter would be dead about three or four years after writing this letter. Of course, he writes 2 Peter about the persecution within the church, the problems within the church, the false teachers within the church. This book, book is, is regarding the persecution that was outside happening to the believers. And if you remember, going back, chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, we had the choice of obedience. 
See, they were chosen and set apart for obedience by the blood of Christ. And then we moved into the next title. The message was A Living Hope that we used for the theme of this year. And that through the resurrection to our future and our trials and joy, through this resurrection, this living hope, we have the hope, guys. We have the life. We have everything that we need to keep us strong in this life, knowing that, you know what, tonight might be the night. Tonight might be the night that you find yourself face-to-face with Jesus. What a glorious day that's going to be. No fear, only thank you, God, I made it, I'm here. Could be it. Then Bob taught the next study out of chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, and he taught about this salvation that Peter talked about, the salvation that the prophets looked for, this salvation that Peter encourages the believers there, that this salvation that was revealed to you, these guys prophesied, they looked for it, guess what? We got it. They were the generation that the Messiah came, that Jesus was there, blessed. And then we went into a proper response to such a salvation, chapter 1, verse 13 to 21, and how to conduct ourselves in maturity, holiness, fear, and love. And a lot of how Peter writes is he speaks about the great things God has done, and now this is what we're to do in response to those things. Then he lays out more great things and how to respond. And then in chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, we had the forever word where he speaks about the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever, brothers. And he spoke about loving the brethren fervently, the love of the word, the love of not the world. And then we had a a precious privilege because they had been chosen by God. And we had the privilege of sonship, the privilege of membership, the privilege of ambassadorship. Remember, they were a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, God's special people. And then we went into a three-part series on a precious witness. Starting in chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. You guys all remember this, right? <laughs> I had to go through. I didn't even remember it all. I was going through all my notes here. But this precious witness, a witness to the world, is one who walks in denial, who walks honorably, who walks in humility, and who walks in servility as a witness to the world. Then the precious witness part two was this idea of commendable behavior in the workplace where we took that passage of scripture where Peter is addressing the servants and how they were to respond to their masters, good or bad, and we applied it to our lives in the fact of working for good bosses and working for jerk bosses and how to respond to that. We talked about this commendable behavior, this Medal of Honor stuff. Remember, we talked about Edward DeVore up there in in, um, Green Hills where his monument is, and we we actually read his commendation for why he received the Medal of Honor. Incredible stuff. But that's the commendable behavior that Peter was talking about. When we respond to our masters, our bosses, even if we are treated poorly, if we respond in a way that brings honor to God, it was, he was likening that to how Jesus responded and went to the cross in honor of his Father. And then the third part, a precious witness, was the commendable behavior in the home with the wives and the husbands. This commendable behavior. Now Peter, he says, in our chapter 3, verse 8, he says, finally... Finally, having said all this, he says, 
all of you, all of you, all of you in the church, the servants, the employees, the wives, the husbands, everybody, all, be now an example of proper Christian conduct. And I'll probably use the phrase PCC, which you'll see on the title pages and on the, uh, the main points. And he's continuing in really in this, the theme of submission, because really much of chapter 2 was all submitting. Remember we talked about submitting to the government and how there's been such a struggle within the church. You know, the whole mass thing, the whole COVID thing, and, and the government doing this and everything. And yet, obviously, super clear that even Peter, speaking to these believers who had been scattered, who'd been abused by the, the government, who Nero was blaming for something they didn't even do, being killed for their faith. What does Peter say? Rise up. Go protest. Go down and kick teeth and take names. No. Submit for Christ's sake as a witness to him. Man, this theme of submission. And really, bottom line, guys, what, is Peter, what Peter is saying to the dispersed, to those who were suffering for Christ, who had lost it all, who had been rejected by family, who were about to go into persecution and had not been seen by the church yet. What he's saying is, basically, guys, there is no excuse. No excuse. No excuse for improper conduct within the church. He's talking to the body. He's talking to the believers. He's talking about their treatment of one another inside the church not just inside this church but the church as a whole the church throughout he said there's no excuse no excuse to act in such a way that is improper to your brothers or your sisters or to from church to church and of course that's the message that's there for us today guys it's still the same we can't use the excuse that, oh man, I have such a hard time with this whole COVID thing. I'm suffering. I lost my job. I'm broke. I got all this. And all these things happen in our lives as an excuse for us to act like jerks, not only one to another, but to our wives, our kids, our coworkers, people that we know, our family members. And yet, there has been that temptation, hasn't there? The trials that we've gone through, the, the frustration, just the fact of having to wear, I cannot wait for the day when I can burn this thing. It bothers me so much, it tickles my nose, it messes up, I just like, oh, and I'm going for a walk with my wife today. We're walking out in the park. Now she's a nurse. Where's your mask? <laughs> my mask is in my pocket, that's where it's at. I had it, I had my mask, but we can't use this, all the pressures of even this pandemic as an excuse to not walk properly one to another, but before the people as well. In Christ as Christian men, Peter now says, this is how you conduct yourself. And he uses as an example for us in his suffering, our Lord and Savior Jesus, as he talks about that in chapter two. All his suffering and what he went through we see the example of how he conducted himself upon the cross even. He uses that as proof text to strengthen his position in teaching these people. And he says, finally, all of you, 
proper Christian conduct has number four points here, has the right attitude, has the right response, has the right standard, has the right motivation. Read with me chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, a quote from Psalm number 34. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But listen, brothers, but his face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Man, so Peter, no excuses. Proper Christian conduct, PCC, has the right attitude. And got to ask the question, brothers, how has your attitude been? My answer to you would be, what time of the day is it? <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, attitude's pretty good. Getting my devotions, hang out with Jesus, <laughs> step into my car, turn on the news, there goes attitude right out the door. So, obviously, the, the main thing tonight, turn off the news, turn off the news, turn off the news. Attitude, guys, is everything. Years ago, I worked in the grocery industry. You've heard these stories about Alpha Beta before. Somebody said, Alpha who? Yeah, Alpha Beta. Well, at this time, I was, my position was grocery manager. My boss, the store manager, gave me the, um, the freedom to actually promote the guy who was going to be my third man who would work for me basically side by side. He was my third man. And he had the store manager, system manager, grocery manager, third man, fourth man, that kind of thing. And so I had these two guys to pick from. And uh, I won't mention names in case you never know. <laughs> I'm actually going to be playing golf with one of the guys next Wednesday. I'm still in contact with these guys from 100 years ago. Kind of crazy. So anyhow, so I'm looking at both of these guys. And one of the guys had the qualifications and experience, basically, hands down, he had, he had it all. Everything, he was quick, he was fast, he was smart, he was sharp, boom. Well, the other guy, he was a little bit slower. He was a little more methodical. It took him almost way too long to get the same things done. But I chose the latter guy over the first guy for only one reason, and that reason was simple attitude see the first guy he knew he was good and he basically was like you know what i'm doing you guys a favor by even being here all right his attitude stunk it was bad he was he was kind of mouthy he was kind of whiny he was kind of like pfft. he wasn't going to be around long the other guy his attitude was you know what wit whatever it takes to get the job done i'm here and this guy would work hours after he was supposed to get off. Hours, making sure that he did it right. And I tell you what, he went on to be a phenomenal store manager within this company, retired from Alpha Beta, living high in the hog. And I look back and going, man, I could be like retired right now. <laughs> Not even, brother. I wouldn't turn around and look back for nothing. 
attitude. You guys all remember who Helen Keller was, right? Now, what was the thing about Helen Keller? She was blind and what else? Blind and deaf. Here's a quote from her on attitude. Keep your face to the sunshine and you will not see the shadows. Is that amazing or what? That woman was something else. Sad to say, though, many Christians, many Christians within the church going through trials. When we're going through trials, they look like people sucking on lemons. You know what I'm talking about when someone takes a little, that whole, that, that, that's it. And, and that's the witness that is going out to the world today from the church, not looking at anybody here around us in the room, of course. You know your attitude. You know if your attitude stinks or not. And a Christian with a bad attitude, of course, is it's a bad witness. Because see, the heathen, back when we were heathen, back when we were in the world, we had tough times. We had trials. What did we do? Man, give me the drugs, give me the alcohol, and I laughed my head off and had a great old time, even though the house just burned down. But as Christians, oh, yeah, 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 whining and crying, your lips hanging down, God hates me, whatever. And it's a terrible witness. Paul addressed the right attitude even in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Remember? When he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and noble and just, whatsoever things are pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things really talking about having a positive attitude in the light of all the trials and struggles that were going on. Where is your mind focused? Where is your attitude? And of course, Peter here telling the believers to practice these five Christian attitudes, making it clear there are no excuses, no matter how tough the suffering was for them, no matter how bad it was, no matter how the persecution for those who had been dispersed, number one, PCC has a right attitude. It's an attitude of unity. And this speaks of being harmonious. It speaks of, of a, a group of people, a choir coming together, all with different voices and yet singing in such a way that the song comes out beautifully. And, and we're all different. We all have differing gifts. But when we're, when we're unified in our cause, when the church is unified in what it's doing, man, the witness is amazing. Sad to say within the church right now, the conduct of the church is not good. The witness of the church is not good. After what happened during this whole election cycle and such you had in the COVID thing, we got, we got pastors calling out other pastors over the pulpits. We got churches calling out other congregations like, you know, hey, you, we're better than you. No, we're better than you. Oh, you wear masks. You're chickens. Oh, we don't wear masks. We're, we're self-righteous. We, you know. And it's bad. It's bad. And the, the, the world steps back and it's like, so this is Christianity? Keep it. I want nothing to do with your hypocrisy. I want nothing to do with you guys whining towards each other. And, and then you got the, the witness of, of the, the great church leaders, the megachurch guys falling, the guys running the international ministries, finding out after somebody has died just the things that were going on. Oh, my gosh. This revelation of Rabbi Zacharias is like, are you kidding me? I can't believe it. I was totally shocked. I never saw that one coming from a mile away. Man. 
And the world looks on the unsaved. They want nothing to do with this, guys. And this whole thing about unity, Proverbs 6.19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are abomination. And the last in that list says, those who sow discord among the brethren. Those who cause division. Those who, and, and God does not want the church divided. He doesn't want these splits going on. He doesn't want the problems in Calvary Chapel that are CCA and CGN and that whole mess that's going on. It continues. It's terrible. It's terrible what happened. So the right attitude is an attitude of unity, but also number two, it's an attitude of compassion. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. It means a sincere feeling for and with others. It's a state of mind that exists when we enter into the feelings of others as if they were our own. We call this, of course, empathy. When you've gone through something and this brother here is going through the same thing, you can truly empathize. And of course, looking at what was going on with the people, there were some who suffered more than the others, of course. Not every family lost a family member through the persecution. And the same with us here in the church. There are some people that through this whole pandemic, they, they've never had it better. I mean, you're working for Amazon and you've been promoted already 20 times. I mean, that company is just gone crazy. But then say you work for the restaurant industry. Or maybe, maybe, you know, you're in, in a place where they've actually completely shut it down because you can't, you know, like AMC. Maybe you were managing AMC. What? <laughs> you're out of a job. You're bankrupt. You've had to sell your house. And even in this room, I'm sure that we have those extremes going on. And yet all of us are to have an attitude of compassion one towards another. Not like, well, bud, <laughs> sorry, you know, you know, that's the luck of the draw right there. No way. Empathy. Sad to say, though, that when things do get tough, what do we do? We, we want to pull back. We want to grab what's ours. We want to kind of like, okay, I got, I'm all set up. My house is all set up. Man. All, my fortress is all ready for the, for the end, for the apocalypse, you know. And don't you dare come over and try to get any water from me. You know, I got to have 500,000 gallons just in case. Compassion goes out the door. But then there's also supposed to be an attitude of love. Love as brothers, he's saying. Of course, and this speaks of love to those who are believers. There's nothing greater than when you see brothers loving, hanging out, fellowshipping. Guys who 10 years ago in the street would have killed each other. Now they're looking at each other and, hey, how you doing? High five. Hey, bro, crying together, praying together. It's amazing. Jesus said like this, of course, in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. That's, that's the challenge. I mean, it's easy to love somebody, but as Christ loved these guys? Oh, my gosh, he gave everything. He sacrificed. He washed their feet. He put up with their nonsense. He put up with Peter. Goodness gracious. I mean, putting up with someone like that, if Peter was walking around our church today, we'd have run him out. Get at your knucklehead. Get your foot out of your mouth and, and learn how to walk. I mean, but he wouldn't. And really, Jesus made it simple, didn't he? When, when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? 
Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not easy. Don't get me wrong. And then love others as yourself. So simple. Man, if I could just focus on that. That's, that's like the katinas. You guys remember the katinas here? They're sweatshirts. Love God, love others. Boom, that's it. That's it. That's a, you know, you could actually put this away and just try and focus on that for the rest of your life as a Christian here, and you'd be doing a greater job. Love God, love others. Then there was an attitude of tenderheartedness. Having a heart disposed to pity and compassion, especially to show kindness to the faults of erring brothers. Oh, man, it's easy to love your brother when he's doing good and he's treating you right. But the minute, man, he dents your car out in the parking lot, it's like it's over, dude. I don't care if you go to hell now. I mean, it's done. No, it's the erring brother that he's talking about, the one that's like the Peter, the Peter. Peter, come on back. We will welcome you back. Tenderheartedness. And really, it calls for being so affected by the pain of others as to feel it deeply within our bodies, within our guts. That's true tenderheartedness, man. When somebody is suffering, somebody's going through something, especially if you've gone through the same thing, you can relate. You know, oh my gosh. And it hits you that way. The lastly, though, and I wish this would have been first, because really, if you have this attitude, the others come easy but it's an attitude of humility. Now, the New King James, King James translation uses the word courteous, but more better translation that most of you guys probably have is to be humble-minded. And guys, I will always treat people better if I come at it from a humble attitude, a humble position. And Paul, of course, said Jesus had this attitude, and I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. To the left, a few pages, because you've got to have this, this address. And, and in my teaching, you might know that I like you to go to passages. I could read the passage. I could read it. But no, you need to know the address of these things. You need to know your Bible forwards and backwards. Why? What's that say? Say it again. Men of the Word. You've got to be men of the Word, guys. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is Paul talking about this idea of humility. And it's such, this is, I mean, this is the humility passage, guys. This is when you're struggling with something, when you're having a hard time, or maybe you're thinking you're all that, you got to go to this passage. He says, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, being what? like-minded right there having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself man let each of you look not only out for your own interest but also the interest of others verse five right here let this mind be in you let this be your attitude different translations attitude let this attitude be in you which was also in christ jesus who being the form of god did not consider equality with god a thing to be grasped but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Brothers, that is an attitude of humility. What a, what a, and I see Christ. Of course, love is, is Jesus, but I see Hallmark. Man, humility. God to come, to bow down, to humble himself, to come to reconcile me and you, the sinner. Proper Christian conduct, you guys, has the right attitude. Number two, PCC has the right response. Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. The right response. How are you responding to the trials? How are you responding to the persecution? How are you responding to the things that are going on in your life? And like I said, we're not really being persecuted at all. You might be being embarrassed at work, maybe because you're a Christian. People looking at you like, <laughs> you're following them nuts, man. Again, Jesus, as our example, as Peter said in chapter 2, verse 20 through 23, it says it all. Chapter 2, verse 20, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But, here it is, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. We talked about that commendable behavior. We talked about Edward DeVore. For to this you were called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin? He deserved none of it. Anybody out there commit no sin? So you basically deserve everything you do get because you are a sinner. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. He was sinless, guys. But, verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Brothers, that's huge. Number one, Jesus did not return the evil or the reviling. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years before, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The example. So we got to turn the other cheek. We got to bite our tongues. We got to deny ourselves, pick up this particular cross, and follow Jesus. So what could, you know, examples. I mean, your boss yells at you and embarrasses you in front of the whole crew. But yeah, besides wanting to take him outside and what's going on inside of your head, what do you do? Man, this is where you got to suck it up for Jesus. And it's, it's hard. That's, that's tough. That'd be crazy. And yet it happens all the time. You're humiliated. You're embarrassed. Then you call HR, then you threaten to sue, then you call the union, all this kind of stuff. No, that's not what Peter says. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. He didn't say, let's go storm Nero's palace. Let's go take out the emperor. Let's, let's go. He didn't say that, guys. Jesus did not do that on the cross. 
What did Jesus do? Number two, Jesus returned a blessing. And remember what he told Peter when Peter took out the sword and whacked off Malchus's ear? Put it away. Those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Do you not think that I could call down 12, 12 legions of angels? I, I added that all up. 72,000 angels we're talking about. That could do some damage. Yet instead, he blesses them. He asks God to forgive them, to forgive their sin, and then he dies for their sins. That's crazy. That's not within my heart. But he could not have given them a greater blessing. He couldn't have done anything better in response to what they were doing to him. Man, the right response, the challenge, brothers. Number three, though, Jesus called us to this. Peter says, knowing that you were called to this, he uses that phrase, this is the second time you use it. You've been called to this. So you didn't know this, but when you said yes to Jesus, in the frying print there, this is what you signed up for. It's fine print. <laughs> that when persecuted, when abused, when maligned, when reviled, when spoken evil of, the way you respond is not the way the world responds. You respond the way that Jesus responded. <sighs> Turn with me now to Matthew 5. You got to know this one. This is huge as well. This passage of Scripture, as far as I'm concerned, would be okay to remove from the Bible. It's amazing, guys. And you know this. Matthew 5, if you don't know this, you've got to underline it. Verse 43. Here is the response, guys. The proper Christian conduct. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That sounds about right. Love those who are good to you and Man, hate those people who hate you. Makes sense to me. It's what makes the world go around anyhow. No, no, no. But I say, who says it? You didn't say that with too much conviction. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, disciples, children of God, because of your response, because of the way you react when you are persecuted, when you are reviled, when you are spoken evil of. Anybody about done with that? Man, man, that's what you call picking up a cross right there. Really? Your neighbor says something, does something, and we've all been in situations where Man, that's just like, oh, no, you didn't type of a thing. You didn't. And, and we respond quite the contrary. And, and a lot of our response is because that's the way you're supposed to respond, right? I mean, someone walks up to you and punches you in the nose. It's on. Period. I'll, I'll talk about being the Christian later. That's not what it says here, guys. It's tough but it's the proper Christian conduct that will be such a witness that people will be blown away, blown away at your response. Jesus called us, this to us, but also verse number four, Jesus will reward us. He says that you may inherit a blessing. 
And here, you guys, this is the principle of reaping what you have sown out of Galatians 6, 9. That, that not to grow weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart, if you don't give up on it. If you don't. And honestly, guys, most of what we're going to reap is not in this world. It's what he says here. Remember, you're going to inherit a blessing. Peter talked about that inheritance in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice. That inheritance, you guys, is what is to come. Wouldn't it be nice that every time you responded the proper way, man, it'd be like, you know, a million bucks in your checking account or something. I'm, I'm okay with that. Quite the contrary. You respond that way, the devil comes and just pounds on you because he sees an opportunity. He sees a weakness. He sees that, well, what you did for good, I can turn for evil and make you feel bad about it and then make you question God. The devil's a, he's a liar. He's a chump. He's a punk. See, and when we respond properly, guys, we're storing up treasure in heaven that's what jesus was talking about store up your treasure in heaven not on earth such a hard principle to, to realize especially in this day and age we live in this culture and society where everything's about money 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 it's all that's the god of this world that's what drives this world drives us crazy so that was the Right response. Now, number three, proper Christian conduct has the right standard. Verse 10 through 11. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, let his lips and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Remember who he's talking to. Man. Imagine someone came into your house, drugged your kids out or your wife out, took them, had them killed because of their Christianity. Okay? Now, that's an extreme case, but it did happen, and it was happening. But the most part, they were driven from where they lived. Get out of here. We don't want you around here. You Christians, go. Flee, run. Proper Christian conduct has the right standard, and the right response, you guys, is the right standard. And this is the standard Jesus has set for you and for me. Here is the goal. Here is what we are to aim for. It's like if you wanted to compete in the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Wrap your head around that. That's kind of interesting. Now. We're having the 2020 Olympics in 2021. I get it why they're doing that way, but it's just interesting. But you want to be in the pole vault, all right? If you're going to compete in the Olympics in the pole vault, what are you shooting for? What's the standard? How high is it that they're going for? Anybody know? I'll tell you. Of course, I looked it up. 19 feet, 9 inches, and a quarter. So who knows heights? That's probably pretty close up to the little fire thing over there. Imagine that. Those guys are so fearless. Grab that. Anybody you pole vault in high school? 
<laughs> I tried it. I was so lame. I thought, no way. I can't, I can't bend that pole and do that. One of my buddies, though, from high school, man, he was good at it. He just was strong, upper body. I think he did like 12 feet back then. Amazing. But that's the standard. That's the bar. That's the goal. That's where it's at. That's where the, the pole vaulters are aiming for that. They're not going to shoot for 18 feet, right? Well, I'm going to go out there. I'm trying for 18. <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to try for 19. No, I'm going for 20. I'm going for 20. And, of course, this standard we have here is, is for us as believers that, that we would exercise the proper Christian conduct. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're shooting for. Now, we're not going to, we're not going to reach the perfection of Christ ever, 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 ever. But it doesn't mean that we don't try. It doesn't mean that we just say, well, it's so far above us that I'm not even going to worry about it. Well, if that was the case, this passage of Scripture wouldn't be in there. But it's there. He's telling them to do things. He's telling them to behave in such a way that you look at it and go, not returning evil for evil? How do you do that? Reviving for right? Man, I can't do that. I can't do that. And, of course, we can't. And we understand that it's only through and by the power of God's Holy Spirit working in and through us as we surrender and die to ourselves, going back to what Jesus says. You want to follow me? What do you do? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And now come and follow me. Follow my example in this world. Man. And, of course, Peter, he's quoting from Psalm 34, verse 12 through 16. It's a great psalm, but it's wisdom from God. David wrote it. It's when he was claiming he was crazy and from Abimelech, remember? He's like, ah, the whole thing, whatever. And he's talking about how he got out of it because he, he feigned craziness and he's praising God and everything. And he goes on to this thing and, and, he, and he brings this up. Man, he who would love life and see good days, man, don't do these things. Don't do some of the things I've done. God's going to bless you for it. And this is wisdom because you want as good a life as possible as far as it is up to you. You want God to give you as much room to bless you in. If you love life, yeah. If you want to see good days, yeah. I mean, I'm not into seeing bad days. I'm not into, into seeing people dying. No, no, I want, I want it okay. I mean, you know, I'm not some crazy guy. I, I love good days. I love days like today. It was beautiful. Beautiful day today. Man, here's what you are not to do. Not, N-O-T. Don't do this. We are to refrain from speaking evil, you guys. Okay? So we're going to be talking about cussing here, cursing, slander, gossip. How we doing, brothers? Lousy, yeah, that's I heard that one. <laughs> Lousy. And the cussing thing. Now, I get it. It's tough out there because people can't communicate without cussing. I've said it before, even in professional places. And, and my wife talks about it all the time. She's around nurses and doctors, educated people. Can I get an interpretation of what you're saying? It was a beautiful day today. It's terrible. And I know you work among that, and you're in that. And it affects you, and you find yourself getting caught up. But guys, it's not okay. We're to refrain from evil speaking. We're to refrain because that's evil. Cussing, Bible says, don't cursing, slander, gossip, junk. No. 
We're number two, we're to keep from speaking deceitfully, meaning there's no lying, there's no falsehoods, there's no half-truths, there's no deceptive behavior, the games that we play among people, conniving, deceiving, tricking. Thirdly, we're to turn away from evil. And what is evil? Anything that is not godly. There's a lot of evil in this world. And what this idea of turning away means, an intensely strong rejection of what is sinful, you guys. Paul says that we're to abhor what is evil, strongly detest, and it's, it's and I can't with this, this idea, I've shared this before, it's like, you, you've all seen it, you, you're, you're walking along and all of a sudden, you see a pile of vomit that somebody, and what do you do when you see that vomit? Oh, well, that's kind of good. Oh, you run as fast as you can. It's like, oh my gosh, get away. Ah, you know. It's horrible when you see that and the smell. I mean, that's the worst thing in the world. Oh, that's what he's talking about. Turn away from evil, you guys. Turn away. Refrain from speaking evil. Refrain from speaking deceitfully. Refrain from evil, you guys. And here's what you are to do, what you're to do good. Do the right thing all the time, guys. Seek peace. Be the peacemaker. Because the peacemaker, Jesus said, they will be called sons of God. And then not only that, you're to pursue peace. It means you're to, to keep on going towards it, to not give up. Maybe that's peace with a coworker. Maybe that's peace with a family member. We just can't just say, you know what? That's it. I'm cutting you off. It's over with. I'm done with you. That may be in your heart, that may be what you're thinking, but that can't be your conduct. It can't be what you're going to end up with. You may struggle with God over, you may have to go to prayer, or you might be like, oh, wrestling like Jacob and, and with the angels, like, I can't do this. And God says, I know you can't do it. I can do it through you, though. Go back and make peace. I don't want a God. I hate the person. Go make peace. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what you are to do. This is the standard, brothers, set by Jesus. Proper Christian conduct has the right standard. And lastly, number four, proper Christian conduct has the right motivation. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Proper Christian conduct, guys, has as its motivation the desire to be fully pleasing to God by righteous living and doing the things that are in line with his word and of course this quote here from psalm 35 it's it's definitely you see the correlation of blessings for righteousness and chastisement for those who do evil peter makes it perfectly clear we have the blessings for obedience the curses for disobedience guys we can't get around it it's totally clear it has nothing to do with salvation old testament your obedience to God's word determined your salvation. And when you blew it, you had to take and sacrifice the animals. I was reading today in, um, what was it, Leviticus 16, about the day of atonement. Oh, man, what a mess. Thinking about the fact that every time you sinned, what did you have to do? Get out another dove, hon. Grab another goat. Well, we just did that 10 minutes ago. I know, you know I can't help it, you know. And yet they had the Day of Atonement. We had the priest that would do that once a year. 
And of course, God told Aaron, this don't come in at any time. Man, there was this huge separation. Only come in at this time of year and, or, or you're going to end up like your sons, Nadab and Abihu. And then you see the whole picture of Christ coming as our high priest, going in once, tearing the veil, making the, the, the ability to come into God's presence. We can go anytime with no fear. I'm off on a little tangent here, but that's what's so amazing, guys. Man, the blessings that come from obedience, the grace that we have through faith in Christ and salvation. Now, this has everything to do with favor and grace for those who are right before God and correction and punishment for those who act contrary to his word by doing evil. Interesting that Peter would pull out of all the Old Testament, this passage of Scripture, in talking to these people, that's why we talk about this. He's basically saying there's no excuse, no excuse for improper conduct towards one another, period. Right here, this quote from Psalm 34 talks about it. It's totally clear. For the righteous, he says, we have the eyes of the Lord. Now, this speaks of favor and special care and answers to prayer Oh, my gosh. Righteous living, they say, takes the wax out of God's ears. That's what we want, right? Amen. God, to hear my prayers all the time. Fellowship right on. We're like me and God. We're tight. I'm so close to him. I could be his Wi-Fi. I'm just like tell you. It's just boom. Now, a little side note. If God isn't answering your prayers, maybe there's a problem with you and your relationship with him. And you want to get that fixed, right? Again. You're, not, you're not right. Remember what James says, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. For the righteous, though, we have the eyes. For those who do evil, we have the face of the Lord. And this speaks of, of correction and anger and displeasure. Isaiah 59 talks about that your sins have separated. God's arm is not short, his ear is not deaf, but your sins have separated you from God. The fellowship has been broken. Do you feel like the fellowship's been broken in your life? Like God's just not there? Like, I, man, it's like I, I'm praying. It's like there's just an echo and nothing there. Could be God is trying to get your attention, speaking to you. If you don't have the right attitude, if you don't have the right response, the right standard, I can be sure for me that I don't have God's favor and blessings. His face will be against me. And this, of course, when he says here, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, we all understand this. God can make your life pretty miserable. Amen? Anybody have that happen? Where you're going through life and just something happens and it's, it, he's trying to get your attention. You know, you know uh, hypothetically speaking, nobody knows, only God, but maybe, maybe God's trying to get um, Tiger's attention. Could it be? Could it be? I mean, far as I know, he's not walking with the Lord. Far as I know, he's not, he's not doing anything that God might want to be doing. Only, you know, only what I could see. But I can give you a, a perfect example that is the truth. You guys all remember Frank Pastore, right? And you've maybe read his book, Shattered. I mean, here he, here he goes. Yeah, he died, but he's in heaven, praise God. But here's this guy who's on the top of his game. He's, woo, he's going all the way. He throws a pitch. He's the left-hander. Come on, that Steve Sachs cracks that bat, hits that ball, shatters the elbow. His career is gone. And he testified to the fact that God 
allowed that to happen in his life to bring him to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And God used that man tremendously. Would to God that would be the case of what's happening with Tiger Woods. And you need to be praying for him. Praying that this wakes him up. He really should have been dead. I mean, my goodness, you see that car. Crazy. And guys, for us, man, God can make. I can remember years ago, I got into the whole running triathlon scene and such, and, and it had started becoming an idol, a little God. So God looks back and goes, I can't let that happen. And this is how God spoke to me about it. Where it's like, you know what? I'm going to touch your back. Poof. There you go. Your second back surgery. Your running is done. Your triathlon career is over. Because I was pushing for the Ironman. I'd done a couple of the half Ironmans. I was loving it, but it became a God. It has to be a God. Do you ever to compete at that level? It was crazy. And God said, no, we're not going to have that. That's how, I, that's how I saw when my back went out and I had my second back surgery. And that's how Frank Pastore saw his elbow getting destroyed. I pray to God that, that Tiger Woods, and I'm pointing at the hospital because he's probably still there. I pray that Tiger Woods, his eyes would be open. Somebody who's a Christian reached that kid. Kid, I can say kid. Huh? He's 45. He's a kid. He's a kid, baby. <laughs> Man, and really, guys, ending up here, this really speaks of the fear of the Lord. This speaks of the fear of the Lord. Why is it good to have the fear of the Lord? Because you've got to realize that God holds your life in his very hands. Yes, he's a loving God, but it's clear here. You start getting out of line. You start going down the wrong path. You start doing the wrong things. You start taking off town, heading towards things that are of sin. God's going to, because he loves you, he's going to arrest you. He's going he's to put a roadblock there. And if he has to roll your car to get your attention, then by all means, if it's going to save you, if it's going to save your marriage, it's going to save your life. Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because the wise man reverences the Lord and his word. A wise man does. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom? Hey, fear God, guys. Fear God. Fear God in a healthy way, not in a bad way, in a healthy way. Man, because he holds your heartbeat right now. He could go, don't anybody drop, okay? I'm just giving an example here. We don't need no real life stuff. Application factor with Jesus as our example, since we are his disciples, amen? One, we have no excuse for improper conduct, guys. Lousy attitudes are not acceptable towards our wives, our kids, our coworkers, family members, nothing, even in the midst of the suffering and trials. You got to take it up with God. It's between you and God. God, why are you allowing this? What is going on in my life? What are you trying to do? I know I got to zip it, lock it, put it in my pocket, as Bob says. But man, Lord, when I get out of my prayer closet with you, let my attitude be right. Let me be right before you. Let me go out and represent you to this world. Number two, don't compare yourself to other believers. Because it's easy to look around. Let me look around. I may say, well, well, I know I'm doing way better than that guy because I know what's going on in his life. Well, I'm doing better than him, so I ain't so bad now. No. Who are we to compare ourselves against? And where is the standard, brothers? 
Woo! Line up your life with Jesus. And of course, we know we're going to fall short. But he's the only one I can compare myself to. I can't compare myself to others. God's got a plan going for you just like he does me. Number three, though, no, let verse 12 be positive, be a positive motivator for proper Christian conduct, you guys. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Love this psalm. And the idea here is that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God is watching you. His ears are open to your prayers, but the face of the Lord is against you. He knows what's going on in your life. Take that as a positive. Take it as an encouragement. Take it as the fact that he's, he is your accountability. We have these men's groups for accountability partners, and we build up friendships and such. But guess what? You don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know exactly what you're thinking. I can think I do. I can check. I can get to know you. Say, Brother, I, something's not right here. I'm, just, I'm discerning something's a little bit shaky going on in your life. Now, it's obvious you've got a joint in your mouth and a beer in your hand. We got problems, man. We got problems. But God knows, guys. How do we know this? Psalm 139. How many of you guys know Psalm 139? I got the first 10 verses memorized. I won't quote it to you because I'll mess it up, but it's in my heart. Why? Because it's an amazing psalm. You need to know this. You need to underline the whole thing. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down. He knows you're sitting down right now. You know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. The New American Standard Version says you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. Oh, my gosh. But behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. This is David crying out. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't entertain. I can't even comprehend it. Speaks of God's omniscience, God's omnipresence. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Can't hide from God, you guys. When you're out doing your thing or when you have the thoughts that are going on in your head, when you're looking where you shouldn't be looking, God's not going, nope. He knows. He knows. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there, of course. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea where there is nobody. And this is so beautiful. Verse 10. Even there, guys, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 12, guys, let that be positive. Let it be an encouragement. God is watching out for you. God is looking over you. He's, he's mindful of where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows your sin. He knows your victories. He knows your challenges. And he's there still by your side, still loves you. That's an amazing thing, even in our sin. And number four, guys, remember all eyes are on us, the church Let's be great examples of men of the word, guys. And I want to read to you a chapter from this little devotional I've been reading. I love this little devotion. It's called By the Still Waters by Vance Havner. I think a couple of the guys in leadership have read it. And I actually made some copies because it's out of print over there. But this is called Good News from a Far Country. I'm going to read it. And when we get towards the end, it'll kind of make, you'll make the connection here. It says, we believers are pilgrims in a strange land. 
We look for a city. We seek a country. We desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. Our citizenship is in heaven. Throughout our earthly sojourn, we are privileged to hear from our eternal home. And as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. That's Proverbs 25, 25. It may come in the hour of prayer, in the calm of meditation, through a good sermon, a spiritual book, conversation with a friend. Many are the messengers that bring us tidings from afar. Sometimes they come gay and radiant, and sometimes they wear black. But every bearer should be welcomed, even through tears, if it bears good news from God's country. I have a book of letters from the far country. He's talking about his Bible, of course. Over half of it is filled with messages made known through angels and men of God. Then a heavenly host announces, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That is the gospel, which simply means good news. Then there came one who announced himself as the fulfillment of all prophecy before him and who brought the message of the kingdom of God. When they killed him, he arose to bring good news of victory over death. Hallelujah. And finally, he returned to an old disciple on a lonely Patmos to show himself glorified and triumphant. Of course, that was the Apostle John. Through this good book, I learned that God loves me, that Jesus died for me, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I learned that if I believe in him, he pleads my cause before the Father, that he indwells me, that through him I can reign in life. I find that death is not the end, that he is coming to earth again, that I shall live forever ever with him as glory, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is such good news from a far country. This good news, this gospel is for everyone. It reaches in every direction, like the very word news. N for north, E for east, W for west, S for south. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. You and I can bear this good news, for there is a gospel according to you and me. We are epistles of Christ. The world reads us more closely than it does the Bible. Do we relay good news from God? If so, we too shall be as cold water to thirsty souls. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. John 4, 14. Men like to read the news and the printing presses grind out tons of it each morning, but not much of it is good news and far less is good news from the far country. Is it not strange that while in each home lies a Bible with news from heaven, men let dust gather upon it from week to week while they pursue and peruse the county paper? Good news from a far country. Brother, do you read it? Brother, do you heed it? And do you speed it to others? Guys, our proper Christian conduct, according to what the good book says, the news from a far country is what the world needs to see today in the world.
We ain't looking too good out there, brothers. Things are rough as far as Christianity is concerned around this nation especially. But of course, we have the opportunity to change that everywhere we go as we exercise proper Christian conduct. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Man, did I go over. That's Bob's fault. Father, thank you again for your word. So good, God. Thank you again for these men coming out. I pray you bless them. I pray even as they go to their groups, Lord, rekindling relationships and friendships and such, Lord. And again, we praise you for opening up this door. We ask that it stays open, that, Lord, you give us the right attitudes in our life. And as we walk this walk, Lord, would we glorify you in everything that we say and do? Give us the strength, Lord. We know the standard is high, but, Lord, we know you are greater, that you're able to do all things in our lives, Lord. So bless, Lord, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.